Um, today, we are in week 17 of a series called The Story. And we're going through the entire story of Scripture. We started at Genesis. We're working all the way through Revelation. And today, we are at the portion where the kingdom of Judah is about to fall and be it, because of their sin and their departure from, from God. And I'm certain that if I walked into any barber shop, if I walked into any community center in any of the 55 plus age communities around here, and I asked the people in there and said, what's wrong with this country? I'm confident they would have something to say. And if you've been around Gulfside at all, you know I tend to be a little bit opinionated as well. I have my thoughts on things. And so I have an opinion on what's wrong with our country too. But I want to tell you, we like to say the problem with our country, it's connected to the, we don't have the right debt ceiling. Or we, we have issues with the people who are wearing blue in our, our government. Or the issues with people wearing red. Or issues with people wearing rainbows. But it seems like we always like to put the issue and the problem with our country far exterior to ourselves. And my personal opinion, what's wrong with our country, is we have a high population of people who say that they're Christians and a low population of people who live Christianity. And that's what I see, because I don't believe that the problems in our nation are completely exterior to ourselves. I think the problem is that it's few and far between where we've crossed the street in our neighborhood and prayed for one of our neighbors. It's few and far between that we've gone a few doors down and brought a meal for someone who's sick. It's few and far between that we actually know the names of our neighbors. And because this is a conviction to my heart, it's not about just applying it to you. There is a decision that was made that if someone is unfortunate enough to live on my street, they're going to deal with multiple invitations to Gulfside Church because I want to love my neighbor. And I'm going to take a step in because my brain has low capacity at times. I have accidentally introduced myself and invited someone for the first time to Gulfside Church at least two or three times. One neighbor in particular, I think it kind of crawled under their skin because I met them and invited them. And then I met them again for the very first time and invited them again. And then I did it a third time. And then when my wife was making her way over to meet them, um, they're like, oh, we already know who you are. We know that we're invited. <laughs> they weren't interested. And that's okay. But I want to tell you this much. It is, I believe, a calling on my heart, and it's a calling for us as a Christian that we have something to offer people even if they're not ready to receive it. And so often we're like, I know the solutions to our national problems, but I can't do anything about it. And I want to instill in your mind and heart that you have something significant to offer your neighbors. You may not have a counseling degree, you may not make the very best of meals, but you have a hope that lives in your heart. You have the one way to heaven written into your mind and you have something to share with your neighbors that they need, whether they recognize that need yet or not. And even if a neighbor never receives an invitation or never responds to you sharing about God's love, they will at least know that you cared enough to cross the street. And when we become a nation who says everything is out of our hands, that's when we see things really begin to crumble and collapse. And here at this point in history that we're studying, 
in Israel. We're going to pick up, and man, it's the, the section that we're covering of Scripture today. It includes one of the books that has to be in the top three favorites of everyone, the Book of Lamentations. The people who've had to read through Lamentations before are chuckling because Lamentations, if you've never read through it, it is bellyaching and crying and destruction and fear and hopelessness for the most part because they were going through a terrible time. And today's message, we're going to look at two people, the prophet Jeremiah, who was writing Lamentations, and we're going to look at the king who was, who was serving as king while Jeremiah is writing Lamentations. And as what Jeremiah he's writing in response to what's happened due to what King Manasseh has done. And so these two people we're going to look at a little bit today because you can't really understand what Jeremiah is writing in Lamentations unless you understand who Manasseh is and what he's done. First, a little context. Manasseh's father was King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a pretty good king. He, he took the nails off the door of the temple of God and he reopened and reestablished worship of the one true God in Israel during his reign. He tore down the, the idolatry that was happening in Jerusalem. He made some mistakes towards the end of his life. Uh, he actually got sick towards the end of his life and the prophet Isaiah came to him and basically said, get your affairs in order because you're about to die. And he asked God for, for more time and God granted him 15 more years. During these last 15 years of his life, when he knew that he had a numbered amount of days, he had a son and his son was 13 years old approximately when he passed away. And that son's name was Manasseh. Manasseh would be the next king. And I don't know what happened in the faith handoff because something happened. Hezekiah knew the Lord and served the Lord, but Manasseh, he went the wrong way. He served the idols. He did things that were despicable. In fact, I'm going to read you the passage about it because I don't think the term despicable will really paint the appropriate picture. We've got to go straight to the text. But we're going to start in the book of Lamentations today, chapter 3, starting at verse 19. We'll put this on the screen. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking of the condition of Israel and the condition of his heart. All right. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. What an encouraging word to start off Sunday morning. Let's go, right? Now, I mean, there's just this reality that we will navigate times in our life where things are terrible. And if you've bought into the false theology that if you follow God, it's always going to be great. Things are always going to be happy. There's always going to be enough. Life is always going to be perfect. If you've bought into that false theology, I want you to understand that that has not been the experience of people throughout the course of Scripture, from Adam and Eve to the end days of the church in Revelation. There is difficulty that we will endure. And this is one of those times for Israel. And not every difficulty that we endure is due to choices of our own. Not every single trial that we walk through is in response to a sin or a mistake that we've made. But one of the first things that I would tell you is wise, that is intelligent, that is a smart thing to do. If you begin to walk through a difficult season, it is appropriate to just ask God, will you search my heart and my mind? Is there something that I'm doing or have done that I need to correct? It's proper to ask that question because scripture teaches us that when we begin to move away from God, he is a good father who will bring discipline and correction into our life. 
And there are times where something difficult will come into our life because it's supposed to grab you by the shoulders and wake you up and say, pay attention to how you're living. There there are blessings that you'll experience as you walk in the presence of God. There are blessings that you will experience as you walk in his ways. And once you grow accustomed to walking in those ways, when you walk outside of it, you will sense the departure of that blessing. There are things that God says, if you do this, you will experience my provision. If you do this, you will experience my goodness on earth. But if you walk outside of my commands, you will experience my correction. And so it's appropriate to ask that. In Israel, they are in in this place that Lamentations 3 describes because of what happens with their king Manasseh. And I'm gonna, we'll put up on the screen 2 Kings chapter 21, starting at verse 3. This is a long passage, but I think that it's appropriate to go through the whole thing because it's gonna paint for you a very vivid picture of who King Manasseh was and just how depraved he was. Starting at verse 3. It speaks of King Manasseh. It says, he rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He constructed altars for Baal and set up an Asherah pole just as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshiped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. The place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. Just time out. Think of the temple of the Lord that David longed for, that he wanted to build, that God said, no, it's going to happen in Solomon because you have been a king of war and there's too much bloodshed on your hands. The temple is too holy for you to build it. Solomon will build it. And they were given incredibly precise instructions about how holy the temple of the Lord was. And Manasseh set up Asherah poles that were connected to sexual immorality and all kinds of detestable practices in the temple. Verse five, it says, he built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Listen to this. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even made a carved image of Asherah and set it up in the temple, the very place where the Lord had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws my servant Moses gave them, I will not send them into exile from this land that I gave their ancestors. But the people refused to listen. And Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. Verse 16 says, Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. I I hope you were able to grab from that passage how far away Manasseh's heart was from the Lord. I don't, I don't even know how to begin to comprehend his adherence to worshiping idols that he would cast his own son into the flames. There is a mix 
of cultural understanding in this day of saying, just worship each of the gods. Just take the best of both worlds. Just straddle the fence. Just bring them all in. You don't have to worship just Yahweh, the God of Israel. Worship Baal and worship Asherah and worship the stars and follow what people who claim to be psychics and mediums say. Just bring it all together and that's the most wisdom. But just like today, the wisdom of the culture is foolishness in the eyes of God. Submission to cultural expectations and cultural wisdom is foolishness when compared to the teaching and instruction of Scripture. And it is destructive. The thing is, though, Israel, they were situated. They had, they had walls around their, their city. They had an army. The, the, the land, God had promised them that as you worked it, it's going to overflow with milk and honey. Your crops are going to have abundance. You're going to have everything you need. And they were established and they had the blessing of God all around them. And so their house looked well taken care of. And I want to compare it to this. We have this phenomenon, and I'm not trying to unlock a new fear for you, so I apologize if this messes with your mind at all. I think you're pretty safe wherever you live, but in Florida, this has happened a few times. Because we have clay under our houses and foundations, and then limestone under that, when a water main breaks, or because the way that water just moves through the soil, sometimes we develop what are called sinkholes. And it's interesting because the house would pass inspection. The house looks beautiful. The house is well taken care of. The lawn looks great. But deep under the foundation of the house, sometimes there's a cavity of decay that develops under the house. I'm going to um, put up the picture of what a sinkhole looks like for those who are lacking imagination. Yeah, I, don't worry. It's not going to happen to your house. But it has happened in Florida enough times that insurance companies have noticed. Uh, one of the times the guy was asleep in his bed and suddenly his bedroom of the house was just gone and in the sinkhole. And a day before you would have looked at the house and said there was nothing wrong with it. But for years, there was a problem that was developing under the surface that other people couldn't see. And it created a chasm. There was a chasm of emptiness under the house that eventually the foundation in the house collapsed down into. And so is the spiritual state of so many people that when you look at them from the exterior, you would say they look put together. They've got a great outfit on. They're holding hands with their spouse. When they walked into church, everything just seems perfect. But they were arguing and yelling and cursing at each other on the way into church. And it's been years since they actually humbled their heart before God, though weekly they raised their hands in worship. And it's easy to get to the spiritual point of decay where you keep up the faces for everyone else, but you've never been face to face with your Savior in the last few years of your life. And spiritually, things are dry in the heart, but you're on the schedule regularly. And this is how things collapse within your life. Israel, they had abundance and they had protection. And they, they claimed to be God's nation, but their hearts had gotten far away from him. So much so that they worshiped false gods inside of the temple. Spiritual decay happens. And I think kind of like a sinkhole, it happens very slowly. And I want to 
make sure that you are aware. What is the condition of your foundation, of everything that your heart is built on? Because your foundation should be worship between your heart and your heavenly father. Connection between you and him. That is what everything else in your life is built upon. The strength of your marriage will be built upon that. The strength of your career will be built upon that. The strength of your hope and your joy will be built upon that. And if you are searching for joy in other places, you're going to experience destruction and loss. And I want to encourage you, reset your eyes on the Lord. Make sure your foundation is strong. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 10 through 11. It says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. Jeremiah served as a prophet. Isaiah served as a prophet. You maybe have read the book of Isaiah and the prophecy within. Tradition holds that Manasseh is actually the king who put Isaiah the prophet to death. He ignored all the warnings. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon. And the people of Israel and Manasseh himself, they were surely surprised. And on this side of history, it's so easy to look at them and be like, how could you be surprised by the collapse? Isaiah warned you, Jeremiah warned you. You had so many prophets who were telling you, get your heart right with God and he will bring you back in. But you continue to worship these false gods and ignore the Lord. It's so easy for us to see in hindsight, but can you see it in your household and in our nation today? Can you see right now that you have so many tremendous blessings that surround your life? But what consumes you and what consumes your mind, what consumes your resources are things that you know don't matter in eternity. We take care of so many things. Are we taking care of our relationship with God? Are you hearing the warning? God is crying out to you, get your heart right. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else you need will be added is what Jesus promises. And so the sinkhole developed. There was a spiritual cavity in their life for years and years and years, warnings and warnings and warnings. And then the Assyrian army come and they take Manasseh prisoner and they lead him off in chains. In Lamentations, verse 21, Jeremiah writes, and though the nation's been destroyed. The temple has been burned. The walls have been broken. The people are in slavery. The impoverished people are left to work the fields and grow crops so the Assyrians can take them. The state of the nation is in ruin. And Jeremiah writes and says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends and his mercies never cease. Look, sometimes the diagnosis, sometimes the situation, sometimes the condition of your life looks so serious that it's like there, you have a hope, you have a concept of what you would like to happen, but you have a fear to even dare to ask that of God because we don't want to be disappointed because we don't want to get our heart lifted up. And I wanted to make sure we properly 
understand something because the terms of hope, because we're supposed to have hope, but how is that different than faith? Because scripture talks about hope and it talks about faith and they seem closely related, but what is the difference? Because we, we, we know, okay, hope, that's what we'd like to happen, but sometimes we're afraid to even ask for that to happen. It's like, I, I hope that God will cure me of this diagnosis. I hope that God would restore this broken relationship that means so much to me, but it just seems impossible. And there's a hope that it could happen. I want to compare it to, to these, these balloons here. Because hope, it always seems like it's, it's floating up there above you, above what you want. It's like, here are my hopes. My hopes are above where I want. And they just, they seem a little bit out of reach. Hope is always elevated. Hope is always what you desire in your heart. So how is faith different than that? So here's the hope. Faith is the connection of saying, okay, my hopes that are up there, that are above me, faith is having the decision and the power to say, I'm going to believe this for myself. Faith is grabbing a hold of the hope and saying, I believe this for me. I believe that God cares about me in a way that even though it feels like a risk, it feels like it's daring to say, I want this to happen in my life. Faith is that connection to your hope of saying, this will be a part of my story. And Jeremiah is writing and saying, even though my heart is destroyed, I will never forget the pain of this time. I dare to hope even now. Even though my city is in ruin and no one lives there and no one worships there, I will dare to believe that this won't be how the story for us ends. And it's grabbing a hold of that hope and saying that I believe for it in my life. And if ever there was an impossible situation to say, how could we ever reclaim our land from a nation so powerful? If ever there was a time where it says, okay, our king is cruel and evil. It said that the blood of innocent people stretched from city wall to city wall because of Manasseh. He was so wretched that he burned his own son in a pagan sacrifice. How could we ever recover given this condition? This passage, man, it, it's challenging. When you think you understand grace and then you understand who Manasseh is and you understand this prayer, it's hard to understand the depth and the width of God's grace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 12 and 13, and so, Manasseh has been brought out into Assyria, surely to be killed in front of the king of Assyria. That's, that, that's what was common in the time. It said, but while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord, his God, and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord, Yahweh, alone is God. Now, I want you to grab a hold to the depth of grace that God displayed here. Manasseh, who set up idol worship in the temple, in the courtyards of the most holy place, when he sincerely humbled himself, God extended grace. Manasseh, who put his own son to death in the fire, when he sincerely humbled himself, God extended grace. Manasseh, who 
lined the city streets with the blood of the innocent. When he sincerely humbled himself, God extended grace. And so for you and your story, if you felt like you have moved too far past the limits of grace, look at Manasseh. And Manasseh lived on the other side of the cross. We have the benefit of living on this side where God said, I will demonstrate how far I will go for you. That I so love you that I sent my son so that whoever would believe in me would not perish but would have eternal life. God so loved you that his son died on a cross to pay for your mistakes to bring you back in. And statistically speaking, you probably haven't lined your city wall with the blood of the innocent. Good news. But your heart and your mind might put up a fight of saying, I knew better. I knew better. Manasseh was raised by a godly king. He knew better. And he allowed all of this cultural influence to invade the way that he led and ruled. He let all of these cultural ideas seep into his worship and move him away from God. But when he sincerely humbled himself, God was ready. So where's your heart with God today? Because when you sincerely humble yourself, I want to tell you God is ready. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. Verse 23 Chapter three of Lamentations, Jeremiah, who had to go live out his days in Egypt because his nation had been defeated and destroyed. Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet, he wrote, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. In absence of seeing the provision of God, he had the hope and the faith to grab a hold and say, I will believe this for myself. Because God's faithfulness is bigger than any of our mistakes. God's faithfulness is bigger than any departure than the people of Israel could commit because God is gonna bring us back because he is so faithful. And I wanna remind you, as we've studied the story so far, you've seen that when Adam and Eve rejected God, God was still faithful. That when Abraham, though he had received an amazing promise from God, when he got scared and he lied and he was deceptive, God was still faithful. Man, this is the place where an amen goes in a sermon, okay? I'm gonna teach you, church, all right? Joseph, when he was in chains and in prison and he couldn't see how God's plan would ever come back around, God was still faithful. When Isaiah was speaking the truth and a wicked king would put him to death and the people of the city would not listen, God was still faithful. When Peter, who was supposed to be the leader of the church, he denied that he even knew Christ three times, God was still faithful. And the history of the church is a history of grace and redemption. And so if you have felt far away from God, hear the warning, hear the cry, hear the call out to come back home. Because he has promised and he has provided. And he has said, 
I want you as an adopted child in my family. And when you humble yourself sincerely, he will restore. And I know that that hope lives in your head and heart, but you have to have the faith to grab a hold and say, I will believe for me. I will believe for my family. I will believe for my future. My faith will take hold of my hope. And I will see the goodness of God in this life. Will you stand with me as I pray? Father, instill in us the faith to grab hold of the hope that you've placed in our head and heart. And for anyone who's felt like their mistakes have pushed them too far from your arms, would your spirit just be present in a way that confirms in their head and heart that you are calling them back. Give us the courage to sincerely humble our hearts before you. And as we do that, we know that you will speak, you will guide, you will restore, you will forgive, and we will walk in that newness of life and that joy that you desire for us. And we are grateful for your grace that has no end. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.